Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, it's one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 3rd, 2016. This is episode 1841, and we are going to have a great show today because we're going to be talking to Gary Collins. And uh, even though he is the primal paleo nutrition guy, we're going to be talking to him mostly about off-grid living and his ongoing project to finish his off-grid house. He's three years into that project and probably a good six months from being done with it, at least right now, uh, because of the, the, the scale and scope of the project. So it'll help a lot of you that are thinking about that same type of lifestyle and to think about how to get there and uh, avoid some of the mistakes Gary's made and uh, to know what you're in for because some of it you're just going to have to deal with. We'll get to that in just a minute. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Let me ask you a question. Do you have a favorite knife, a special knife, one you may hand down to a son or a daughter? How cool would it be if you had such a knife that you actually made yourself? With KnifeKits.com as your partner, you can do it. Check out the hundreds of options they have along with all the help you would need from books and DVDs to develop the skill of knife making. You can learn more at KnifeKits.com. Hey guys, as many of you know, I used to be a business and marketing consultant in my former life. And the advice I gave most business owners every day was... Do what you say and say what you do. Well, ready-made resources figured that out on their own. All the resources from food storage to gardening to guns to alternative energy, ready-made and ready to go for your prepping needs. Check out ReadyMadeResources.com to learn more today. Next up, let's take a look at our history segment for the day. Every day we take a look at the year that was the episode, the year 1841, because we are in episode 1841. We have the commercialization of Santa has begun. We have the win, the Whigs win the presidency for one month. And in other news, the Brook Farm Utopia is founded. Transcendentalism has found its center in Massachusetts, of all places. That's interesting. You might want to look up Brook Farm and find out what that was all about. Groundhog Day makes it to America. Although a German tradition, a large squirrel predicting the weather, has been around for many years. This is the first mention of it in the USA. And British claims sovereignty over Hong Kong, except for a brief period during World War II, the British will maintain jurisdiction over Hong Kong until 1997. Shh, the UK has been selling opium to the Chinese, not the other way around. All right, so let's take a look at the commercialization of Santa, because I think it's good to laugh, and I'm just going to have, instead of a historical take, a funny story after I read Alex's take today. The first real department store, Santa Claus, won't arrive until the 1890s, but this year, Philadelphia store owner J.W. Parkinson hires a fellow to play Kris Kringle climbing the store chimney as an advertising gimmick. At this time, Kris Kringle and Santa Claus are not considered the same person, but most children realize that someone special is secretly passing out gifts on Christmas Eve. The image of Santa has been firming up since in the U.S. since 1823 publication of the poem, "'Twas the Night Before Christmas,' But it is going to take a long time before Santa Claus tradition unifies into the image of jolly old elf in a red suit looking suspiciously like the comedian Tim Allen and sounding like Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> My take by Alex Shrug. Just so you know, there's another Christmas tradition where fellow whips, a fellow whips unworthy children and leaves them coal. 
you will see Father Whipper occasionally pop up in parades looking like a homeless guy. Oh, wait, that is a homeless guy. Currently in the Netherlands is experiencing a problem with another of Santa's helpers, Black Pete. I'll bet you can guess what the problem is. Early in December, St. Nicholas and his friendly helper, Black Pete, arrive and hand out gifts to Dutch children. It's a tradition. The Dutch generally like the tradition and see nothing racist about it, but their neighbors are becoming uncomfortable with the image of a white guy in blackface parading around in an Afro wig like a clown. Professionally speaking, Black Pete does, does fit the definition of a real clown. And in traditional political fashion, when conservatives do something like this, it is considered the worst kind of racial prejudice. But when Dutch liberals do it, it's tradition. The tradition stumbles on. Um, I'll just say on Alex's take, anybody who has the time to worry about something like this has much bigger problems that they should be seeing too. But my funny story that I promised you today. When I was, I think, four years old, I obviously don't remember this, but based on the story I've been told, four seems about the right age. I think it was the year before we moved from Pennsylvania to Florida in my childhood, so that would put it at four years of age. Um, one of my neighbors decided for all the kids that lived around the house that, he, that they lived in to dress up like Santa Claus and to come to each house and had some you know, presents to give out to the children. So you would think a little kid would be happy to see Santa Claus. I wasn't so happy to see Santa Claus in my house because it was just a big, scary man, which is funny because it was actually a woman that did this. Her name was Cookie Close. It was a, a neighbor of ours, and Cookie Close and the Close family lived close to the Spear Coast. So you, you'd think, well, then maybe I'd cry or run away or get really scared and hide or something like that. Uh-uh, not Jack Spierko at four years of age. I said at four years of age, I pointed at this, this, this person and said, get that damn man out of my house. And uh, that's been a joke in the family for a long time. Four years old, someone get that damn man out of my house. And I was angry and upset that this stranger that looked freaky and creepy to me was in our home. And I thought maybe that would just bring a little humor to things instead of making everything so serious. And with that, I want to introduce our special guest today, Gary Collins. Of course, he serves on the Expert Council. He's an amazing guy. He has a, uh, a background as a special agent for the FDA, so he really knows the, the kind of the inside and underbelly of the food and drug business. Also spent time in the military, and uh, he has helped many people uh, improve their health through the Primal Power Method, and he's also been working on this off-grid project, which we're here to talk about mostly today. And with that, hey, Gary, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, thanks for having me on, Jack. I'm absolutely glad to have you on. Um, you are a regular contributor on the uh, expert show. Uh, you're on a couple times a month because of that. But there's a lot of people that maybe aren't really familiar with you and your background, especially since what they hear is the answer to an individual question, right? So yeah. can you kind of bring people up to speed, like what's your background, how do you get into what you're doing, that type of thing? Yeah, it's it's a pretty interesting, quick story. Uh, just uh, been into health and nutrition all my life. Athletics started competitively in athletics at like age seven, and throughout my life, just uh, you know, went to college, got a degree in criminal justice, was in the military, military intelligence, and then from there became a federal agent, um, have a master's in forensic science. So I went that route in my life. So even that, even though that's not really related to health, but you know, boot camp, all the training. So there's a physical side to it. So that you know, kept my feet still in it. And still played athletics organized. 
and then uh, ended up eventually as a federal agent. I was with Diplomatic Security Service for the State Department at the beginning. That made me travel around the world, kind of seeing how people lived and how they ate, you know, seeing what, you know, farmers markets were real. I mean, real markets. I mean, these guys, this is their life. It's not just on Saturday. They're every day, you know, so in, in more uh, smaller, more uh, less developed countries and just seeing the big differences in health and how they treat diet, nutrition. And then went from there, went to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services as a federal agent. And that was more um, investigating major health care fraud. So doctors, hospitals, uh, Dr. Feelgoods, uh, grant fraud, all kinds of stuff, everything related to the healthcare industry. And then from there, went to the FDA. And that was my last stop. And that was kind of seeing the food and drug world and how it really works, seeing the pharmaceutical drug companies seeing how the food companies operate and seeing all the corruption and, you know, and just the incestuous relationships between the government and big food companies and, and, and seeing how our health shouldn't work. Basically, I got to learn how not to do it and seeing the ugly inside. And from there, um, after having enough, uh, after spending, spending half my life in basically the government, I got another degree in exercise science and started my company called the Primal Power Method. And it was taking all the information that I'd learned and combining it and putting it together into my own kind of format and program to help people. Because um, I knew, I, I mean, I was into it. I mean, I was always an athlete, always into health, and I was lost. I mean, I was totally dumbfounded in the end at how little I actually knew that was right. Um, you know, I did a lot of stuff right, but I did a lot of stuff wrong. And the stuff that I was doing wrong was slowly killing me. And it was no different than any American out there. And it's so confusing. And today with the Internet, social media, you know, the health world is just a basket of crap. If you don't know what you're looking for, you're going to go down a million different rabbit holes and go nowhere. If anything, you're going to make your health even worse. And that's how I notice with a lot of clients, and that's why I'm glad to be on the expert council and ask a lot of questions or answer a lot of questions because I get the confusion. You know, I get to see it, and they're questions that I get all the time. Some of them are actually pretty unique, and it's nice to be able to help people and understand and actually how simple it is. Once you kind of figure it out, you're like, oh, God, <laughs> you know, that's not that hard. <laughs> but we're taught that, you know, just like, uh, you know, our consumer society that you're just supposed to consume, 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 keep the keep the hamster wheel rolling. And unfortunately, when it comes to health and wellness, it's pretty straightforward. It's not expensive and it's pretty easy. Yeah, it, it, it definitely is easier than I think a lot of people make it out to be. I think part of it is and I, I don't think it's anything unique to health and nutrition. I see it in every industry, in every niche. People want to have something that's their own. People want to have something that they can sell or build product around yeah. or whatever. So everybody tries to carve out a little niche within a niche. And I mean, niche marketing is a smart idea, but it could be taken too far. And I think in health and nutrition, it often gets taken way too far because people can look like an expert online very, very easily without actually knowing anything. And I'm not saying that all the people that are online that look like experts aren't experts, but a lot of them aren't because what they do is they just repackage other people's material. Yeah. And if you put enough spit shine on, on a website and you put enough fluff into it, 
you you can look very professional, and that's good because it lets small entrepreneurs like you and me become successful. But what's bad about it is somebody that was selling freaking how to learn Mandarin Chinese in a month yesterday can be selling how to be you know how to get how to lose a hundred pounds today, and, yep. and tomorrow they're going to be selling how to feed yourself for nothing with aquaponics. Well, they don't know the first damn thing about it. I just saw a guy wanted me to endorse his aquaponics product, and I, I didn't like it to begin with, but I started looking at his proje projections. You're not into this, but even you know how stupid this is going to sound. A one-year yield from a system with 50 trout and at 250 pounds of fish. Oh. I mean, it's just retarded. You, you, you can't That, that doesn't work. You can't do that with freaking tilapia. You sure no. as heck can't do it with trout unless they're freaking, I don't know, I guess if they're, they're four pounds when they go in there, they can grow a pound over a year. And it's like, there's no possible way that you have ever actually run a test case with this system you're selling for $11,000, by the way. Okay, There's no way you've ever actually built one if that's your projection because then you would know that. You wouldn't make that projection. No, and, and that is the thing. It, it is in everything. And I just happen to be in the health side. But I read an article, and that's ex ex a perfect example, but I read an article on survivalist handbooks and prepper handbooks. And the author was talking about how he had he had no background in it, none. And a another guy for who was running a blog hit him up and said, hey, I need a ghostwriter. And he paid him like 700 bucks or something to write a book. And the guy just researched it, regurgitated. I guess there's software that will actually go out, combine information and reorganize it. Oh yeah. But all, I was like, I've never heard of that. And yeah. so I always wondered why a lot of this stuff sounded the same. Yeah. And I couldn't, you know, I was like, oh, okay, whatever. And he, he made a living on it for like two and a half years and didn't have a clue. Let me, let me tell you about the, how, how far back this stuff goes. So way back in the day when I was trying to figure out how to make money online by any means necessary, I came across a product called ArticleBot. Right? So ArticleBot writes articles. So what you do is you have it scrape articles, and then you go through the articles and you create free associated words. So you come up with a word that can be replaced with five other words. And you, oh. you create a variable in there, and then you let that variable stand for all of those words. And you do this with as many words as you can within that article. And then that article bot would spit out a hundred different pieces of quote unquote unique content. And yeah. it would all read like somebody wrote it. Now, the better you were at crafting it, the better it came out. Now, the way that it was used, the way that I used it was not really to put out an article that looked like an expert article. What we were doing is since we were selling phone service, We do a, a page about phone service for Texas, a page about phone service for Florida, et cetera, and all those different states. So how do you make 50 unique pages? Well, you put 70% of the content in these repurposed articles, and then we do a little trick with PHP where it would grab different snippets of articles, and every okay. time that page was indexed by the search engine, it would look new, unique, and updated. Oh, wow. but, but the core content would all be, right, Texas phone service. And, and that's what it, or cell phones in Texas or whatever. And I had thousands of these pages like this to reach all those little niches. Now that was a somewhat nefarious abuse of the search engine, but it wasn't portraying yourself to be an author of all these great articles because nobody on that page read that shit anyway. It was, you know, all targeted for phone service. But if you can do it with that, and I was doing this in like 2004, 2003. So 
I imagine, because I've left that type of technology go and focused on real content as I've learned more. But if that existed then, whatever they have today is probably ten times better. I bet. Well, and it's all SEO juice, you know. Yeah, that's what, that's what we were doing then, you know. We how were... some of these guys would pop up in my field, and I knew they didn't know anything, and all of a sudden they'd have a bazillion pages of content. And, you know, I'm all, how do I fight this? I can't keep up. How are they even doing this? It's and technology. It's, it's automation, te- right? I mean, yeah, it dawns on you that it's all bullshit. It's I mean, all bullshit. It's, it's, it's what me and Poog talk about all the time, though. So yeah. you can even replace an author with a machine. Absolutely. You know, or in this case, really, it's software. So well, and I wonder, do you wonder, because I'm going to write, start writing fiction, hopefully, in the next couple years. And I've started researching that in, because all my stuff's nonfiction. And I, I went back, because I've been an avid reader all my life, since a young kid. I've read thousands of books. And I started reading fiction again, and I'm noticing that I've read the same book oh, over yeah. and over again. Well, if you look at that way, like authors are doing the exact same thing. So well, maybe to a degree, but there's just only so many, so many formulaic storylines. I mean, you can take almost any modern story and go find something Shakespeare wrote that correlates to it. If you, yeah. if you look at the dark side and the light side of Star Star Wars and all the amazing things that George Lucas came up with, you can go back to freaking Shakespeare and find the the same stories. Just the guys had a sword instead of a lightsaber. So I don't know. Let's not get too far off down in the weeds, man. Um, yeah. Let's kind of talk about what you've been doing for three years. So for three years, you've been building a house and this off-grid project. And uh, when you got online with me today, you said, I said, what are you doing? You said, I'm building a house. So so I do every day. What's, <laughs> mind-numbing. What's been going on since the last time you were on about, I guess, oh, about eight, nine months ago? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm getting there. Uh, you know, the whole goal this year was uh, that bad contractor I talked about last year set me a back a year. You know, set me back financially. It was just a mess. And uh, so this year was catch up, fixing all of his crappy work and doing it right. You know, that's my big thing is, you know, I, I started, you know, ownership in houses almost 20 years ago. I've done a lot of the work myself. So it's like I don't it's not like I don't know how to do this stuff. It's just I don't want to a lot of it. And it's just saved time. So, you know, it bit me in the butt. It's it's the way of the world. If you build a house, no one walks away going, man, that was the best experience of my life. That contractor was awesome. I can't wait to use him again. It's usually I'm broke. I hate the contractor. I had to go through four of them. You know, my wife hates me. She left. The kids don't like me anymore. She, they took the dog. You know, you hear the horror stories. And a lot of it's true. Um, building a house is one of the toughest things you'll ever do in life. Then you throw in the off-grid element to it. And for me, this is all new. You know, I've, I haven't done it before. I mean, I lived remotely as a kid, you know, so we had, you know, a gravity-fed septic system. We had, you know, a, a well, but we weren't running solar. We were still tied into normal electricity and all that good stuff. So it's – I know some of it, but starting from scratch and buying raw land with nothing on it and drilling the well, figuring out where to drill it and all that, it's it's a process. I mean, it's one that – you can't just go out there and ask people how to do it. There's no real book for it. It's kind of you got to figure it out on your own. So, you know, it, it, through that, there's been some lessons, but I'm getting close, uh, getting ready to do drywall, hopefully this weekend. And so the house is getting getting closer and closer. I'm almost almost there. Um, but like I said, learning some valuable lessons. Actually, I'm doing this from my solar shed right now. Uh, solar's fully operational. And uh, I don't want to do it in the house because it's all itchy with all the insulation everywhere. 
and I'll probably be choking half the time during this thing. But yeah, it's going well. Um, it's very rewarding. I, I will tell people it is incredibly difficult, but there's nothing better. You know, you're your own power company. You're your own water company. You know, and when you're done, because there's no loans, you can finance, do some tricky financing and, and be creative. But in the end, you're going to own it if you do it right. You know, you're not going to owe anyone any money. You're not going to have a mortgage. So, yeah, it's been good. It's just a, a long, involved process. Uh, I think most people who are looking into it, TV has made it look very easy. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. it's not. There's that new show. Oh, gosh, what's it called? Tiny House Nation or? Oh, no, we can get into that. There's a whole new little uh, movement in that that's taken off since we talked about that last. Uh, oh, gosh, it's Off Grid Rescue or something like that. Okay. Uh, this this guy from Alaska, he's well known in the prepper world. I mean, I, I can't remember his name right now, but his family, they're from Alaska. And they go out and they have to actually rescue people from trying to live off grid. You know, people have no clue and just jump out there and buy a remote piece of land and they're just floundering. Yeah. Homestead, homestead rescue. That's what it's okay. called. And it's just amazing to watch, uh, what these people have done and the huge mistakes. So I don't feel so bad when I watch that show, but yeah, it's not, it's not for everyone. It, it definitely isn't. But, uh, I think for a lot of us in our communities, it is. You know, if you can swing it, this is the way to go. And I'm doing like you. I'm kind of in between. You know, I'm not super remote to where I don't have anyone around me, but I'm remote enough to where you just can't drive up to my property. Um, so it just depends. And I talk about that. The book's written. Uh, it's in editing right now on the whole process that I've spent the last, gosh, started probably eight, nine years ago originally. So hopefully it'll be some valuable lessons for people. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always better to learn from the mistakes of others than than to learn from experience if you have the opportunity. I had a, a sales mentor back in the day, and he kind of th would throw that at new salespeople real quick. Do you think it's better to learn from someone who knows or learn from experience? Of course, you know, young guns, you always say from experience. He goes, "Really? How'd, how'd you how'd you feel if you uh, if you were about to go on trial for your life and your lawyer said, don't worry, I've, I'm learning from experience.'" Uh, and I've learned everything I know from experience. Or would you want someone that had a law degree that actually knew the law? Uh, and that kind of put it in perspective for me. And but somebody, you know, somebody had to be the first person to do a heart transplant, right? Exactly. So I mean, you, 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 you some, sometimes if there's not a, a guide to how to do something or a teacher, you, you have to go do it yourself to, to figure it out. And I think you're doing it maybe a little bit differently. I mean. You're using the SIPs as part of your construction, which that probably made your contractor a nightmare or worse, yep. even though it's a great technology because you're limited, right? Yeah. And how many people you can get to do that? Where if, you, yeah. if you're building a stick frame house, you know, every day laborer on, on the street corner, every other one of them hand them a nail gun and some two-by-fours, and they're off and going laying sticks. Yeah. Uh, framers are dime a dozen. And, and that, yeah, you're right. And using an ICF, which is in, insulated uh, – Concrete form, had to remember that. It's just a, you know, it's a brick that's a green brick made out of wood chips and concrete with insulation in it. And I'm glad I did it because, you know, living remotely, you don't have, you know, you can, but usually you do not have centralized heating cooling. You know, you have heating, you can get it through your stove and you can do invent wall heaters and stuff like that running off propane. But to run central heating and cooling, you have to have a fairly expensive solar wind uh, even hydro system to make it work because it draws so much power. 
that, you know, you're probably looking 40, 50 grand just in, in solar technology or, you know, alternative energy technology to be able to run that stuff. So for most of us, it's, it's just not worth it. I think my whole system was around 14 grand, which still inch, it's not cheap, but in the pic, big picture, that's, that's doable. You know, you can, you can swing that. But yeah, it, it's always interesting. I, the contractor talked me into the ICF. I'm glad I used it and I'm not glad I used it because there's, you know, there's good and bad with everything. And the problem is I'm on the top of a hill and the wind howls up here. When the wind gets going, it gets going. And for me, stick construction, the way I built up high and my house is close to 30 feet to the top of the peak of the roof, you know, you're kind of asking for it. You know, there's going to be some swaying. Yeah. So we would have to reinforce a lot of things and to get the proper insulation. You can do it. Don't get me wrong. We could have done it. Um, but, you know, it's one of those. It, in the end, it will be a good way to go. But using an ICF like that is really painful because no one – my builder was the only guy in like two states that did it. And, you know, he, and he took full advantage of that. That's what he does. He's got you. And he played that game of, I got you, and I'm going to screw you <laughs> and have fun. And I caught it. I caught it, you know, at least early enough to where I could correct it. But, you know, there's just no no easy way. The odds of you getting away if you're using contractors without at least one of them screwing you is highly unlikely. Likely. Or at least doing just crappy work. Because I've had people comment, go, oh, God, Gary, I feel so bad for you. You know, we built the house and, you know, we had a great contractor. And I went, you know what? I could walk over to your house right now and I could go look at things and find all the corners he cut and where he ripped you off. I've never seen a perfect house ever to this day. Or if I have, they paid a lot of money for it. A lot of money. You know, so it's just, it's just the way it is. You know, you just, it, it's construction. But in the end, it'll work. Uh, so far, I just did the insulation, and it's amazing how how consistent the temperature is in the house. Now, that ICF and the, the noise deadening, you can't hear anything. I mean, it's stone quiet in there. So there's there's some upside to it. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, man. So um, what are your feelings about the more mainstream tiny houseman? We were just kind of talking about that and how it relates to living a simpler life. I've got my feelings on that but i'll let you go first well i think we thought we talked about many times i i it's just crazy the world is crazy and when we're talking about it you know we're talking about how expensive these teeny homes and there's two versions but the main ones that are on tv are the ones that are you know on a on a trailer chassis yeah and you you tow it yeah another teeny home is something under 500 square foot that's an actual constructed home but the main one they're talking about are the ones that you tow just like a travel trailer or, or fifth wheel. And the market for that and the millennials are just biting into this like no other. They, they, they're, they're running that market because they can't afford a house. You know, they're having a hard time finding consistent employment that pays well. So they think that a teeny home is the way to go so they can live their life remotely and, and do what they want. And they're just paying ridiculous amounts of money for these sheds on wheels. I saw now there's a company out of Portland that is doing high-end teeny homes now. Mm. So instead of the the regular ones that are 70 to 80 grand, now they're charging 120 to 150,000 for these things and they're buying them 
They can't, yeah. they're selling them faster than they can build them. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're stupid enough to buy a home that you can somewhat tow for $120,000, $150,000, just send me your money. Just send it directly to me. I'll get much better use out of it. Because <laughs> that is just, because to me, you could buy the land and build a home. If you do it by hand and do it yourself and have money left over. And, and you not build have a bigger home, by the way. I mean, that's. Oh, yeah. Know. They're like 200 square foot. You know, so you're, char- you're, you're paying ridiculous amounts of money. And I don't get it. Travel trailers and fifth wheels have been around forever. Yeah. And I live in one. I've been living in mine for two years. Actually, I just, uh, I got another one because the other one was leaking, but it was, I got a, they helped me out. It's a much better tra- travel trailer. And, uh, you know, that they're set up, they're ready to roll. They're ready to go. They got everything you need. Well, and the chassis was built to do the job. Yes. That's the big thing. Everybody's trying to build these little houses, and they they go find these trailers that were never meant to to, to carry the amount of weight that they put on them, and they certainly were never meant to have that weight distributed the way it gets distributed with these tall buildings and these cathedral ceilings they're putting in these little things and stuff like that. And and I just think that basically it's become one of these uh, like this they're selling the dream not the reality. Yep. You know they show these people on TV and we decided to put our money into our lifestyle instead of our home and it's like <laughs> you're going to be getting rid of your home in a year and and somebody did one time a follow up on like all these people you see on these shows where they build them the house and all and it's it's something in the number of eight out of ten within two years are are not living in it any longer because oh, yeah. it's just too small. I sit here and look at you know I'm sitting in it like a eleven by twelve room that's my office and I'm like I wouldn't want to live in here and in many ways it would be more practical because well it's, at least it's not eight feet wide right yeah. and then you're trying to cram you know storage and all and I I am impressed in what they do as far as like how how organized it is, how well thought out it is to make it work. But I'm like, if you take that thinking and build a 600, 800 square foot home, then you could actually do something that's really livable. And nice. And nice. For that kind of money, if you were to build it yourself, you would have one of the nicest houses around. But in their defense, let me tell you why people are doing this. Because of building restrictions. Yeah. So many places you buy land now, and you say, well, I want to build a 900 square foot house. Like, oh, minimum build size is 1,800, 2,200, 2,400. I looked at some land that was about, and you know where I live, so further away from town. Let's just put it that way. Further away from town, it was like 25 acres. It seemed reasonably priced. And I thought maybe I could do something with that. So I was actually interested in it. And it said one building restriction, minimum size for a house, 2,400 square feet. It's a freaking surrounded by cattle farms. Yeah. And, but what it is is the Parker County, small. Parker County has gotten in on this out. idea of if I make you build a bigger house, I can tax you more for it. Mm-hmm. I know places around here, the minimum's 3,000 to 4,000 square foot. Oh my foot. God. Yeah, and, and they say they're for sustainability and saving yep. the earth, and they're full of crap. Oh, it's totaled for tax base, and those people are the people that really don't last. You know, they come up and spend all that money, and they're living remotely, and then they realize real quickly that okay, you know, the 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 BMW five series isn't going to be able to get up and down the hill <laughs> in the winter time, 
And just, yeah, for the millennials, the best advice I can give them, because some do come up to me, the young younger couples and stuff, and they ask me how I'm doing it, and they ask me you know for advice, and I go, just get a travel trailer. Yeah. You can find one used, a really, really nice one for under 10 grand. Yeah, we were talking about all of the diesels that are on the market down here before we got on to recording, and there's a lot of travel trailers, too, and it's out of the same thing, the collapse of the oil industry. Because a lot of the guys that were basically doing, like, one job above the roughneck, they bought a big truck and a travel trailer because they were traveling to different oil fields and different gas fields every day. So those are now like, okay, I can't afford this. I got to get rid of it. And there's tons of stuff. And honestly, what I've found with, like, fifth wheels and stuff like that and just regular travel trailers, the bigger ones are less expensive. Well, the fifth wheels, the big, yeah. big fifth wheels. Because you network. have to have a big truck to pull it. So everybody yeah. wants to go out and buy a little 20-footer or something like that. And I owned a 22-foot uh, hybrid RV, which would actually have the space of like a 36-footer because there was no bedrooms. The the hybrid part was the beds dropped down, so they folded up when you were when you were towing it. So you had all that for and it was still small. It was still small. So I'd say go big. You know, get, get something that's comfortable, especially if, like you're living by yourself, but you add a second person, oh, it, 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 it shrinks. So, yeah, I mean, RVs to me are better. Last time we had this discussion, somebody wrote me about how tiny houses are safer than RVs. And I'm like, safer from what? I mean, basically you're toast in either one in a serious storm, tornado, something like that. In a flood, you're toast. They're yep. certainly not safer to tow. Well, I mean, any yeah, RV I, is going to have clearance where you absolutely know, unless you go down some old back road or something, any any mainstream uh, overpasses and all, you're going to fit under there. You're not going to take the roof off. Um, the tires aren't going to blow out because they're not designed to carry the weight. I I don't know where that idea comes from. I don't either. And, and to tow one of those things around besides to the, to your land, I would never tow one of those things around the country to live in. I, you know, they're meant to be towed to a place and stay and there. Stay there. Yeah. And if you're going to do that, well, why not save yourself a hundred and five thousand dollars? Go get a used fifth wheel with three pop outs that's thirty eight yeah. feet long, and you can even hire hire somebody that will tow it for you, so you don't even have to go buy a truck. Anybody with an F two fifty equivalent or above can do that job for you. You can get that done for a few hundred bucks, and then and and like see, that's what I think they're best for. Honestly, is to do exactly that. The reason I would buy an RV is because I'm building a house and it ain't there yet. Yep. And then you, you, since it doesn't go anywhere, you take good care of it. You turn around and sell it for about what you have into it when you're done with your project. Because well, um, I, and, after being yeah. an RV owner and using it for vacations, I've come to agree with Ron White. RV stands for ruins vacations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and I, mine, I, I thought I could, when I first started, I needed to get one anyways, because I needed something in between. I knew that. And, for me, I I knew there was a good chance I wasn't going to get it up here, but I needed it anyway, yeah. so it didn't matter. And sure enough, I was right. You know, I can barely get a twelve foot utility trailer in and out of my property. Yeah. So to take a travel trailer up here, I would have ruined it. A getting it up here. B I would have never gotten it out because it's four wheel drive and it's steep. I mean, yeah. it's you know, someone even with my truck or a big diesel, you probably wouldn't get a travel trailer up here. You're looking at a bulldozer like how I've had to get the cement trucks, the drilling truck. Probably have to hire someone to drag it up here. And like I said, it would tear it to crap, but that's unique. In most situations, you can get a travel trailer to the property. Yeah, 
Yeah. And that's what I would recommend. Do that. And if even if you're thinking about it, get one anyway and live in it. You know, go somewhere remote and live in it for a while, because I think a lot of people go from living in the suburbs or a city kind of, you know, surroundings. And they go, you know what? That looks cool on TV. Let's go buy 50 acres or 10 acres out in the middle of nowhere. Let's go live. And it's too big of a jump. It is I'm too big of a jump. And waiting. if you're going to build that house, then they, you know, if you live in a travel trailer for a year, your tiny house will become a small house, right? Because oh, yeah. then you'll get in touch with what it's really like to live in a tight space. And you know, you'll think, I could use a little more space than this. Oh, my house is massive. I think the, you know, it's only 900 square foot with a loft. And I went bigger um, than what I originally decided. And to me, that house is huge. I mean, it's, massive it's far far more than i need but i also know that you know people will visit um it's nice to have the extra space it's also going to be my office so i wanted it to be a little bigger and you only build once you know i didn't want to build something small and then go okay this is too small now what do i do yeah and additions are a pain in the ass man it's yeah it's, well in my lot site where i'm at uh it's a logging site old logging site so the landing is my building site in order and it's granite. I mean, I'm on solid granite. I go 18 inches. I'm not digging any deeper unless we go start hammering. And for me, I said, well, let me build as big as I can into this specific area because if I build too small, I won't have the opportunity down the road to do it. Or I could, but it cost me a fortune, you know, moving all this dirt and rock around. So, yeah, it's always different. I mean, everyone's situation is different. And that's what it, is why I want to explain to people the most probably learning about this. It's not like how you, you've gone through life where you, you end up in a residential, you know, your house size is your house size. You got so many, like five options of houses, you know, same, same plans. And, and out here it's, it's all different. I mean, it totally depends what you want, what kind of climate, what your top, topography is, you know, access, Lot size. I mean, there's so many factors and there's no right or wrong answer. You know, there really isn't. And that's kind of the part that makes it hard too. you have so much freedom on what you can do. It becomes overwhelming. You know, it, it, you actually overwhelm yourself because there's so many options. What are, what are some lessons you've learned in, in this three years of, uh, of ups and downs? Um, the, probably the biggest one is the patient side, be patient with it. It's going to take a while. And I've talked to a lot of people who have done it and start to finish on average, it's five years. I mean, that's how long it takes. And people think of that and they go, Oh God, five years, you know, yeah. I can't wait that long. But everyone I talk to, that's about the time it takes. There's no financing like we talked about. So you're paying cash. Uh, you got to build it as you go, as you get the money, do a little more. And not only that, but also, if you can do it, if you can do most of the work, if not all yourself, I've gone kind of changed my attitude on it. Before, I was like, well, most of us can't use contractors. It's just the way it is. Now I'm learning it's so, so unique that even if you get a good contractor, they're probably out of their element anyway. And so they're going to make mistakes even if they're not intentionally trying to do them. Because they just don't know. They've never done it before. I would recommend going out, spending the money, go spend a couple grand and get the tools. Learn how to use them and do as much as you possibly can 
on your own. A, you'll save a lot of money. You're going to learn some new skills. And it just, it's harder and easier is the best way to put it. Um, you'll do it right. You'll make some mistakes, but more than likely, because it's your place, you're going to do a better job than even a very seasoned contractor will do anyway. Because, you know, they're, it's not their place. You know, they're just trying to get the job done and move on to the next one. So wow. that would probably be my, my, my biggest advice is to learn some of the skills yourself and do it. And that's probably the hardest one because most of us don't even know how to build a birdhouse anymore. You know? Well, I think the other challenge there is, is time. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of shit that I pay people to do that I could do myself, but that's because I have yet to figure out how to build a day stretcher, you know, and just jam four extra hours in every day. If I could do that, man, I'd, I'd be doing all kinds of additional shit. But so that's a huge challenge for people. And that's one of the reasons being an entrepreneur and especially I see, I look at what you and I do as more lifestyle businesses than con the conventional entrepreneur path. We don't have an employee. We don't want one. Yep. Hey, if you need something done that you can't do yourself, you, you contract it out. You outtask it, right? Yeah. And, and that gives you a lot of freedom because I may be only able to, to fit in a couple hours of work a day on a, a project, but whatever time I have, I can absolutely give 100% to it because all I do is walk out the door. Well, and that's the sacrifice I've had to make. Last year, I put the business first. So I said, I'm going to... Because it's new. I mean, I'm just hitting three years on, on the primal power method. It's still a new, very new business. And so I knew last year was crucial for me. So I did. I said, okay, let me sub some of this stuff out, take it off my plate so I can focus on the business. Well, that didn't work out quite the way I wanted it to. So this year I've had to reverse. Now the business is suffering, but I'm focusing on the project so I can refocus on the business quicker instead of letting the project consume me. And that's the balance. I mean, that's the hard part about doing something like this is the time. Where are you going to balance the time? Do you have kids? Do you, you know, do, are you working a normal job or are you a business owner? How much time can you give? And that's where there's no, I can't tell you the answer. Everyone's going to be totally different. You know, what skills do you have? Have you ever built a house before? Have you ever done any construction? If you haven't, This is a huge task. I mean, if you don't know how to hammer a nail, this is a rough lifestyle. If you've never done any of that before, luckily for me, I've done some of this stuff. You know, am I an expert in house building? No, but I know when someone's doing something wrong because I've done most of it myself. But still, you know, it's difficult. And even guys who I've met guys who have gone off grid from the construction industry, they struggle as well. It's not easy on them and they already know how to do most of it. Because it's still not what they're used to. They're not building off the grid homes. You know, theirs is the first one they've probably ever done. So yeah, it's, it, it is. It's an interesting lifestyle and the balance makes it even, makes it even more interesting. But I'm glad I, I have absolutely no regrets. None whatsoever. The only regret I really do have is that I couldn't figure out how to do it earlier in life. Yeah. Uh, that's the only really regret I have because now I'm like, oh man. You know, living in a travel trailer, I love it. I'm an oddball. I absolutely <laughs> love it. It is the most fun I've had living because it's so easy. Um, the life simplification of it. Uh, I run my business out of it. I have, you know, a three-in-one 
you know, laser printer. Uh, I have remote internet that I use. Well, it doesn't work there right now because I'm in a dead spot. I have to do everything up here. But, you know, I can travel around and usually my hotspot works. I have my laptop. Um, it's pretty amazing what you can do now remotely. You can do almost anything. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think that the other big advantage when you do a lot of the work yourself is when something breaks, you know how to fix it. Yeah. And you know what broke immediately and you know where to go to find it. There's, I've realized that as I've had not so much the house, but all the systems that I've put in with irrigation and drainage systems and things like that. Like when I have somebody watching the house, if they call me and go, Oh crap, one of the ponds is draining or something. I already know exactly, I know exactly what to tell them. You know, I like go here, reach down that, you'll feel this, put that back yeah. in. Okay. Shut that off and wait an hour and then go flip that back on. And, and if somebody built that for me, I wouldn't know that. And when you're off grid or even if you're on grid, when you're remote or when you have like animals on a property that are going to die if, if certain things don't work, like you don't have time to wait for somebody to show up. We had, uh, when we were in Arkansas one time, we had, we, were, we weren't living there yet. We were spending time up there and we were up there between Christmas and New Year's one year and freaking lightning struck the well and blew out a part in the well. Oh. And we had no water except the water we had stored, luckily. Um, and without that stored water, we would have been screwed because it took four days to get a guy out there because of the time of the year it was, because it was remote, because you, there's not that many people that actually work on wells. There's, there's, and we talked about the, how expensive it's gotten. There's plenty of people that put them in, but there's not a lot of people that work on them. No. And it turned out that this part was a part you could replace in like two minutes flat. But if you didn't have it, there's no way to to get by without it. You, you, and my system was like five years obsoleted. And he told me, he said, I only have four of these in stock. And I said, well, I'm buying two of them from you extra. Oh, heck yeah. And yeah. I, I put them and we had, you know, over the years, we had one more time where that happened and went out, yanked it out, plugged it in. And if you had built a system, you would know everything like that on your property. Exactly. And that's the thing. It's about being more self-reliant. And if you're going to go into this lifestyle, yeah, you're not going to be able to call and get help like you used to before. It's on you. That's what I mean. That's what I said. You're your own power system. You're your own water system. You know, you're managing your own sewage even. You know, it's you're running it all. And that was even like, uh, like I said, Dot, my contractor moved the sewer line on me. I didn't know it. And so I knew where it was because he didn't install it. And another guy did it. And I was there for some of it. And I knew where it was. I knew where to dig it up. I knew where to put it back in. So, you know, it's knowing that you're totally right and understand like the, the solar, uh, electronics, they've come a long way. They're kind of complicated now. It's a little, you know, your inverter and your charge controller are all, uh, you know, it's all done by computer now. It's all managed and it's pretty technical. If I wouldn't have been here watching my electrician put it in and helping him, I wouldn't have a clue how to run this thing. And that's bad because that's my only power. If power goes out, I'm done. I, I got to hook up my generator. But, you know, just by knowing that and things have kind of, you know, my well stopped working yesterday. I was watering and I've been draining it because uh, we just got it fully operational with the, the electricity with the with the pump. I was running on generator before. Well, I knew because I grew up with a well that I went, oh, you know what? It probably lost prime more than likely. Nothing's broken. 
So sure enough, I reset it. You know, water came right back on. But I knew that. If I wouldn't have known that, what would I have done? I would have called someone and said, hey, no water's coming out of my well. And they would have come on, flipped the breaker, flipped it back on, reset it, and I would have had to pay them a couple hundred bucks. Well, and you can't fault them for it because they had to come to you. Like, like people a lot no, of times think yeah. those types of guys are ripping you off or whatever because the fix was easy. Well, number one, you didn't know how to do it. Nope. And number two, that guy could have been at some other place billing for his time and the time it took him to drive to your place and drive back. And now he's got to drive to his next job. And there's a, there's a truck roll cost that has to be covered. And people have to stay in business or they won't be there when you call them, right? So yeah. it's just, it's a fundamental reality. But then once you know that, you don't have to rely on it again. And, um, like I had a guy that came out and fixed the problem with my air conditioner for me at my place in Arkansas. And, uh, he was good enough to show me what he did and say, this is all, if this ever happens again, this is all you need to do. By the way, throw that breaker so you don't electrocute yourself. So to me, that was worth what I paid him just to know how to do it. Well, and that's the thing. When in this, I even I made this mistake because I, I was used to people showing up. You had a multi, you have a lot larger pool of people to call when you're in, you know, a more densely populated area. The more remote you get, the less people you have that can do it. And you're taking them away from the field. You're taking they have to drive all the way out to your property, you know, and spend their time out here to work on your stuff when they could be doing a simpler job. That's just business. I mean, I can't fault the guy for that. I, I got to pay his travel fee. I mean, that's just the way it is. And that's another thing, too, is is when you're building more remotely that there is going to be even a smaller pool of people because a lot of contractors today are just straight up lazy. They're taking the easiest jobs they can, and yours is a hard one. I don't know if they're lazy or smart. I mean, at some levels, it's... Well, a little bit of both. Yeah, you know? Um, if, if I'm running a business and I have limited resources and I have a job that I can put my guys on for four months that's easy, that's straightforward, and then I've got a job over here that's a one-month job that's complicated and remote, and I got travel time and I got to pay my guys travel time, guess where my resources are going? Absolutely. You know, and I that's mean, what I mean. Yeah, it's very difficult for people to find reliable people to do a more remote you know, kind of what I'm doing, there's even more remote than me by far. And it is, that's what I think is kind of the shocker to people is how difficult it is as far as finding people. And I got lucky. I got a good group of guys right now. Um, like I said, I got one helper, but I still, you know, I still hired an electrician. I still hired a plumber. It took me a while to find them, but I found them. And that's just stuff that I could have done on my own, but it's probably not a good idea. A, it would have taken me forever. And B, you know, I'm dealing again with a product that I've never used before and the routing's different. So I had to frame the inside of the house because of, you know, a whole bunch. It's, you can see the videos. I show videos. I'm way behind on videos too. There, I have them. That's another thing people keep asking me, go, where's the progress on your project? I'm all, oh, it's moving. I just, it's, I haven't gotten to it. So I feel bad too. And I want to apologize to my followers because gosh, I've been terrible on that side of it, but it'll all get out. I'll, I'll make sure it all gets I'll out. tell you what's made my life easy for putting videos out, Gary, honestly, is, is cell phone video. Not for yeah. like the high value stuff, but just like you put something in, you take your cell phone, you do a four minute video, you upload that sucker straight to YouTube. No, you yep. don't do shit to it. 
And then that way you're at least getting content out. And, and that, that keeps people interested so that when you do more involved stuff, the, the, you already have the eyes on you. Yeah, and that's a tough balance for me right now, too, because one, it's I'm just burnout. I'm yeah. tired. I mean, I do this every single day. Yeah, your day. video's going to be like, you see this You see this piece of shit wall? I've been screwed with this piece of shit wall for four freaking days now, but you yeah. people wanted to see it, so here it is. It's a wall. Gary, out. That's that's not a good video. No, and that was... <laughs> Actually, it might be. <laughs> Who knows? And that was, I noticed I was doing, I do some of them with cell phone, and uh, I noticed I was pretty crabby and cranky, and I was like, you know... Maybe it's just better to wait and and get spend the time on it. And that's again the balance. How much do I want to focus? People want to see it, but at the same time, you know, I don't have even ten minutes of free time. If I'm got it back up against inspections, everything has to flow, and my time is so limited. Literally, my days start at five thirty in the morning. And they go till I pass out, get home, I eat, and I go to bed, and I repeat. I work on this seven days a week. I, I don't, I've taken maybe three days off in the last three months where I didn't come up here and do some sort of work. And that's another side of it is it, you're going to be involved. If you're going more remote, not the grid, you're getting, you're going to work. You know, there's not going to be just laying around the couch waiting for stuff to happen. You will be involved in every process. You have to be. And if you're not, you know, if you're relying on someone to build it all for you, first of all, it's not affordable because you're going to pay a severe upcharge for that because you're more remote. And I've seen it. I've, I've talked to people and there's actually some of these shows that these off the grid shows that I catch. Man, some of these people are spending a lot of money. I mean, I'm talking 500, 750, you know, that's pretty crazy. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 that's what I mean. It just depends what you're doing and where you're at in life. I definitely would recommend having, uh, more of a, a slower period of life to focus on this. I wouldn't go at it when you're super busy and you have a ton going on because everything's going to suffer. It's all going to suffer. So for me, that's, I said, I, I said, I'm going to suck it up for five months put the business on the back burner and just get this done and get it over with. And that way I can move on and then focus back in on the business. Um, it's been nice. I'll tell you what social media definitely is not one of my favorite things as probably all my followers know. <laughs> and now I don't do it hardly at all. And I go, wow, God, I wish I never had to do social media again. But you can't. It's one of those, if you own a business, you can't, you cannot not get away from social media if you're an online business. But man, it make, it made me realize how, I don't know. I, and I've had talks with other people about this too. I don't get it. Am I weird? I, I don't get social media. I don't understand it. To me, it is the biggest time sucks, stupidest thing known to man. I would much rather be doing something else. I guess it's just me. I don't know. I, I hate it, <laughs> but I have to do it. Well, here's how I look at it, right? Part of why you hate it is because you're like me. You're a little bit older. Um, True. So we didn't grow up with it. But put yourself back to about 1925, right, where a lot of people were still doing business this way. You get a catalog. You look something up. You have a question on it. You sit down and write, handwrite a letter. You mail it to the company. The company gets the letter. They open it up. 
they would write you a response, put it in an envelope, and mail it back to you. And then you'd get your answer and go, okay. And then you would send them an order by mail, and they would buy and, and you'd order it, and you'd buy it, and then it would get sent to your house. And, and people did that. As crazy as that seems, in the 1920s, people were still doing that. And from about 1850 up, as we had the post office actually become a thing, that's how business was done in America. That's how you got an answer about something. So this telephone thing comes along about the 20s. It's really starting to show up everywhere. Now, you have to put yourself in a position of a, a businessman that's been in business for, for 40 years. He's always done this business this way. And his, his receptionist, Hazel, comes in and goes, Mr. Collins, there's a man on the phone that has a question about our freaking widget. And he's, and he's going to say to her, you tell him to write me a letter, right? When you refuse to use social media, that's what you're doing today because that's how people want to interact with you. So, yeah, you got to do it. I try to automate the shit out of it, man. Like, I, I have this thing on my blog that when I do a podcast, I click it and it automatically, like, sends it to Twitter But it doesn't just – it, like, pulls up a window and it's all in there. So I, I dink around a little bit to make the description, and then I copy it, and then I hit tweet. I don't even go to Twitter. Then I click my own Facebook link, and I go drop it into Facebook and share it a couple places, and I'm done. And I yeah. do all of that in less than one minute. You know, I, I have a system. I do. I have a pretty good system. I just – I think it's something I, – I, I don't know. For me – Social media just seems to be like why society is so screwed up in a way. <laughs> and I feel like I'm contributing to it by being involved. But it's also good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, how else could I share, you know, the things that I'm doing and reach as many people? Uh, there's great off-the-grid communities, too. Oh, man, there's some fa just fantastic ones with so much information. And that's the upside to it. But for me, I guess, I guess you're right. You know, I'm older. I grew up when telephones. I mean, I had a party line. I grew up with a friggin' party line. You know, five of us on the street shared the one phone line. You had to yeah. wait to use the phone. And if you had a talker on, you know, on your party line, the odds are you weren't going to use it very much. Yeah. And yeah. How old are you? I'm 46. Okay, so you're two years older than me. We didn't have a party line, but we did have um, our, our, our service was so old that I remember in the 80s, we got an updated phone. So we had you know, the one with the dial that you dialed, and they brought a push-button phone in, yeah. and the guy put it in, and then he clicked a little button on the bottom of it. They used to come with that. And then when you pushed, like, five, it actually made the click sound, because even though we had a touch-tone phone, we didn't have touch-tone service. Yeah. And, like, anybody in town, when you say, what's your phone number, they're like, 2980, because everybody had the same prefix, and you didn't dial an area code. Yep. So to us, when we look at, like... And I've, I've adapted to Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. But people are using things like Slack and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, I can only go so far with this stuff with you guys. Like, it's like this is the next generation's communications means. But if we don't adapt to that, Gary, we're going to get left behind. We have to. Well, and that's the thing. And you're always trying to chase it. And that's the hard part, too, is figuring out how, how to manage your time. I think that's with a project like this, it's taught me. What is important? What do you focus on first? And what's your priority? Do I learn Snapchat? You know, because now Snapchat's the thing. And I'm all, oh, my God, you know, you're killing me. I just figured out, you know, I finally figured out Pinterest over the last year. Now I got to, you know, and I think for me, it's such a moving target. It, it's hard to figure out what what people want anymore. I think that's the frustrating side as me as a small entrepreneur 
is what do you want and how do you want me to get it to you? And I don't know. I mean, I think all of us, uh, I, I hang around with a lot of entrepreneurs and know a lot. We're all in kind of the same boat and we're all, we're all guessing. It's <laughs> like, what's the next thing? I think it's more consistency. You know, people understand. I think a lot of people understand that how busy I am with this and they're very understanding. And I do not let my customers suffer. I mean, if, if someone has a question or there's an order problem, I'm on it because I can get it on my phone. You know, yeah. I, I, I can, Jump on it and take care of that right away. Where I've lacked is content. The content has really sucked. I mean, it's bad right now. But I'm getting, you know, I'll jump back into it. Everyone, let, and I'm on your shows, which helps. Yeah. You know, being on the expert council, I mean, there's a lot of people who who I, who follow me who follow you. So they're going to find me one way or another. And uh, so I don't feel as bad. If I wasn't on your show as well, I'd feel terrible. Yeah, because I'd be abusing everyone, <laughs> and, and I I hope now. I mean, I don't know how how closely people follow all my stuff because I've always been on the entrepreneur side that that balance. You know, I don't want to. The whole point of doing what I I'm doing is not to grind it out ten hours a day. Because my attitude there's comes to a point on the business side where. If, if there's no upside, I'm better off just having a normal job. <laughs> all vacation days, all have health insurance. So it's that fine balance. You know, if I'm killing myself running my own business and I'm not happy, you know, at that point, it's lost what I'm trying to make it do. So it's always that fine line, too, of figuring out how much you can do, how much is enjoyable. And I really like the writing. Yeah. Um, I like writing books, but man, that is time consuming. It is. It is. Cause you, and, you, you, you put a lot of work into every page. So every page becomes hours of work and, you know, just take that across two or 300 pages of a book and you, you've got a ton of effort in anything you do. Yeah. Well, and that's why I'm glad I got the, the book done. I, I stayed on top of the book and I know a lot of people are waiting for it and it's delayed. Of course it's delayed, but it'll be out. I'm trying to make sure I get it out before the end of the year. Gotcha. And I think people really like it because it, it tells my st- not only my story, but it's it, it's the only book that I've found that kind of gives you the A to Z general on a way to do it. You know, the, I, I looked around and I was trying to find information, you know, on how how to approach this type of project and this type of lifestyle. If there's something out there and it's it's kind of like how the health stuff was. It's very uh, kind of disjointed. There's pieces here and there. It's not well organized. It's kind of confusing. So I was trying to simplify it just to kind of give people the basic idea who are kind of looking into this type of life and what to expect and how to do it. Basically, how to do it um, and learn from my my mistakes and and save them a lot of time and hassle because it is it, it is hard. I mean, just looking for land is hard. I mean, it's not easy finding a piece of raw land today. It's just, difficult. It's it's a lot yeah. more expensive than it was even 10 years ago. So kind of as our final question today, what advice would you uh, give to people that are looking to get into this type of lifestyle, especially younger people? Um, like I said in, uh, earlier, be patient. Um, the first step is, is, is figuring out where you want to live. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest parts is a lot of us uh, – you know, I got lucky. I got to travel around a lot. I got to travel all over the country all the time during my government career. So I got to see a lot of places. 
But for most people, they just don't even know where to start. And I always recommend pick five places on your dream list and go to them all and spend some significant time there. Yeah. And decide, you know, which one is for you. Cause it changes town to town, area to area. And up here for me, the Pacific Northwest, I love it. Every time I find a new small town, I'm all, Oh, wow. You know, <laughs> I could live here. And I find myself doing that all the time. Um, but that's because I like this part of the country, but I spent a lot of time up here. So I knew that I could live up here and it'd be just fine. And that's what I'd recommend is get out there, look around, and then use uh, Realtor.com. You can look up land there. It's one of the easier ways just to get a basic idea and figure out what the prices are. You know, get a general idea of what land is going for because there were some places that I liked, but I couldn't afford it. I mean, I couldn't afford a hundred grand for an acre of land. You know, I, I would love to, but that's <laughs> that just sounds so stupid to me. Well, I kid you not, and that's, I, I know you're not kidding. It just sounds stupid, though. It is stupid. It's it's ridiculous. Well, because you're ending up in the same position you were before. Yeah. You know, you get sure an acre's bigger than a quarter acre, an eighth acre that you know in a residential area that you live on, but an acre's nothing. I mean, you're still spitting on your neighbor. I mean, you're right there. And you know, for me, the bare minimum is five acres. I mean, that's the absolute bare minimum. Well, it's the bare minimum to get the per acre price down to something reasonable. Yes, too. exactly. It really is. Unless there's already a house on it, then a lot of times you can get an acre, two acre lot, and you can get it for a reasonable price. When you're buying, it's 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 completely ridiculous. As you know, my my area is not exactly the nicest area that there is, especially land wise and stuff like that. Just the the ruggedness of it, and there's a three-acre piece of property to my uh, to my west. I would love to buy it. The guy seriously wants $110,000 for three acres. Oh, and I'm, I'm like, do, do you understand that I bought my three acres completely fenced, yours is not, with a house yours does not have, with two giant steel frame outbuildings, with a well, with everything to live on, with actually four outbuildings, and... I paid two hundred and five for that. Yeah. So what you're telling me is that my house, my two uh, steel outbuildings, my other two outbuildings, my well, all of that shit is worth one hundred and five thousand dollars. And by the way, my house was on the market for six months before it sold because the people selling it were idiots, had it overpriced, and didn't know how to sell. So it's not like it went quick at that price either. So. And he's firm, and he's been firm for three years. I call him once a year and say, if you're tired of paying taxes on it, let me know. You know, and he's convinced, and I, nobody's going to pay that for that piece of land, but people not too far away and a little bit more, and that's where he's getting the numbers from, are getting close to that. Well, and that's the thing, too. That's a good point, and I, I want to cover this real quick, is if you're not from the area, people are just looking to prey upon you. I mean, that's just, a, it doesn't matter where you're at. I grew up in a small town. I call it small towning. I, I tell people here, I go, don't small town me. I come from one. My town's smaller <laughs> than this where I grew up. Don't do it. I know the deal. There's one price for the local. There's one price for the out-of-towner. Well, I'll tell you what. Part of what screws up land is that if you're buying raw land, a lot of times there's no option to finance it or you're not yeah. going to finance it with a mortgage, however you're going to finance it. So it's not as uh, controlled. When you go to buy a house, 
you, you can have the greatest credit in the world. You can you can qualify for eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage. We'll just give you eight hundred. Fine, go ahead. You can go out and find a house for two fifty. And there, the, the initial response from your lender is, of course, but let's order an appraisal. If that appraisal comes in at two twenty five, they're not going to loan you a dime over that, plus their contingencies and down payments. So that keeps real estate somewhat in check because you can't just get somebody emotionally keyed up, willing to pay three hundred thousand for something that appraises for two and a quarter, unless they're going to come up with seventy five thousand out of pocket. And when it's all presented that way, then people go, "No, I'm not doing it." And then the seller has to come down to reality. Where with land, a lot of times people have saved up the cash; they're going to buy the land and then finance the house. Well, because that that sanity check's not in there. There's no way to know what that land is really worth. That's yeah, and that's a really good point. Is land is a different animal. And for me, I paid, I got a really good deal on my land, and but I paid about half, if not a little less than what everything, and the lots weren't as good as mine. And I just right place, right time. But I also negotiated. I, yeah. I knew that I was going to build here, and no one else has built anywhere near me. I mean, the closest place that's built is a mile away. And for this side of the hill that I'm on, I'm at the top. So I was like, you know, it's tough. I mean, my building is, I picked the roughest area to build in, but it's also got the best views. I'm at the top. I don't have to worry about anyone above me, people below me, but I can't see them. I, I can't, you know, they're below. I don't know where they're at. I know they're there, but I can't see them. And for me, that was the difference too is, yeah, that's where the patience comes in again. You have to look at a lot of, I mean, a lot of land. I looked at a ton of lots all over the country. I've looked at all kinds of places and it's making it affordable, but the land above me, I was looking to buy from the guy who owned it because I want it because I just wanted one of the lots surrounding 10 acres. And I talked to him. I, I wrote him a letter because I couldn't find it. You know, a lot of people out here don't want to be found. So they got PO boxes and I had to look it up. And so I got a hold of him. He goes, yeah, yeah, you know, when if I ever want to, I'll sell. He goes, I haven't been out there for eight years. I went, oh, well, maybe I don't need to buy it. <laughs> not showing up. Yeah. You know, well, he died. He passed away, and his niece called me up. She goes, hey, the family inherited his four lots right around above you. You know, and he, your name's in here as someone who is interested. She goes, are you interested in buying them? I go, yeah, sure. And she throws out some crazy number. I mean, I want to say like 150 grand or 175 for four 10 acre lots. I went, Oh, you're nuts. There's no way, <laughs> you know, and I go, you do realize you're, you're trying to screw the guy who actually made your lots worth something because no one else is building up here, but me, I'm yeah. it. So you're trying to sell back a lot to me that and I went to be honest with you, the access road ends on my property. There's no way to get to those lots. Yeah. They're you're not driving lot. through my property. And she went, oh. And I went, sorry, I don't even need to buy them. I can walk through them anytime. No one's up here. I'm yeah. the only guy. Yeah. And she kind of thought you could see the wheels were turning. She thought she had a fresh one Yeah. on the end of the hook. And that's what you're going to deal with. You're going to have people like that. And, I mean, it's just – it's not – I mean, what do you expect? I mean, if you can get it, why not? I mean, she she thought she would throw it out there and see it backfired. But she might get that from someone else, and who's to say that land isn't worth that? Yeah. I don't think it is. Well, it's worth whatever somebody will pay for it. Exactly. That, that's, and, that's how that is. Yeah, and that's the. I have a whole chapter on what I, that I wrote about how to find land. 
because it is it, buying raw land is really really tricky in the sense too that it's there's less of it around now and all the good lots have been taken is a lot of it you know you're kind of left with what's left over that's not been built on so you got to really look i mean to do what you what you know i'm doing now it's getting harder and harder cuz the land's drying up and you know not to say that you can't do it but you just have to have an open mind and be willing to spend some time looking around. I mean, don't buy it in the first month. Look around for, you know, a year or two. Cause the odds are that lot that you fell in love with that first month won't be anything you're looking at two years later. You're all, Oh God, I'm glad I didn't buy that. Or it's still available. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we need to wrap up with time, but I think we should end with that. I mean, I think that the, the, the one thing that's free in all of this, is it's free to basically what you would call window shop. Yeah. And I think the number one way to educate yourself is to window shop and not just online. Online's a great a great way to find an area. But then yeah. like you said go there and then while you're there window shop. See what actually and then when you see a place and you go that seems overpriced, well look up the listing and if it's been on the market for 2 years, yeah. Right. But if you look at something and you say that's overpriced and, you, you know, follow that listing and it, it went up like two weeks ago and you go home and by the time you unpack your suitcase, it b was bought. Well, it's not overpriced for the area because stuff sells for what it's worth in the end. What's it's worth, whatever somebody will pay for it. Yeah. And that's what you said specifically with land and just be willing to. And not only that, but it gives you time if you go there to explore the community. Because you're not only buying the land. I mean, you're not. You're going to have to interact with people. People have this kind of false sense that they buy this remote piece of land, and they never have to talk to anyone again. No, you still have to go, and you still have to go shopping. You still have to go get stuff. You're going to have to get materials, and that's what I did. I kind of hung out in the town, and you know, I got a feel for the area, and kind of decided, you know, if there was a bunch of people I didn't like, well, then the land wasn't. Even though I liked the land, I wouldn't like the area. So that takes that one off the, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, there's a lot definitely. more to it. Yeah. There's a whole community still surrounding you that you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. And anywhere you move today, there's dirtbacks. Well, and I, you know, I, I know I'm going to offend some people here, but the truth is if you want to get a general synopsis of the quality of the people at the bottom in your area on the first or the 15th, <laughs> middle of the day, yep. about two o'clock in the afternoon, go to the closest Walmart. And look around. And I don't mean to put anybody down for shopping at Walmart. I shop at Walmart or I wouldn't know that. But you're going to generally see the unemployed people that are living off the dole in the area. Yep. And sometimes those people are fine people. And sometimes they're not. Right? Or you really want to know, go at 2 a.m. Walmart at 2 a.m. will – I think most of the pictures on people from Walmart come from that time frame. But it's it's another example. What I'm, what I'm really saying is – Get into the community beyond what a tourist does. Go to exactly. the places that regular people shop there. You know, go to some restaurants that are not just on, like if you have a nice little mountain town and you have that main drag with the 10 nice restaurants, go to the restaurants that are, you know, 10 miles from town, the little the hole in the wall places. See what the people are really like. And it's not that they're good or bad. It's do you mesh well with them? That's what it really comes down to. Are they the type of people that you want to be around? Because here's the, you can say whatever you want about them. They were there first. Yep. Right. You're, you're, you're the one coming in. So it's up to you to determine whether or not you can adapt because it's unreasonable for people to move into a place and then want to change it. There was a, a little town called Port Royal, totally different scenario, but the type of thing I'm talking about, they, the, the entire town was built 
around a racetrack. There was a, you know, a, a half mile dirt track they run the sprint cars and stuff on. Good old friggin' northeastern fun. And that town would have never actually been built up if that track wasn't there first. Well, people moving into that town, you know, 20 years into it, turned around and tried to get the track shut down because they didn't like hearing the noise of the races on Friday and Saturday night. I've heard it. I heard about that. Right. So that track was there before anything was there. You move there. That's why there's a town there. If you don't like it, don't move there. And, and exactly. And that's where people get frustrated, too, with outsiders coming in is the first thing outsiders want to do is change the area they're moving to to what they came from. And people get pissed, which they're is like, also the area yeah. that they left because they didn't like it. Yeah, it's like, well, go back, you know, if you yeah. don't like it. Like, and that's saying you have to adapt to the community. You know that for me, one, the, the reason I like it, kind of pick this, there is no Walmart. Uh, that made it a winner for me. Hey, there's no Walmart in this town. I'm in. I, I'll be honest. I hate Walmarts. I don't like them. Um, I've shopped at them. I'm not going to say I'm some snob, never been in them or shop them or that I don't ever. I just don't like Walmart. Yeah. I don't like the business model. In general, I don't like, I don't like Walmart either. Yeah, you know, yeah. and and for me, that was kind of an upside. There's the closest Walmart here. I don't know. It's 30, 40 miles away. So that was perfect for me. But that's my preference. You know, if there was a Walmart here, would I probably – no, I probably would have moved here anyway. But it was <laughs> nice. You know, it was nice that it wasn't here, you know. Yeah. yeah but you're right. That is a really good point. Go to a a, a shop. If they have a Walmart and that's that will give you a true, true picture of what you're dealing with. And, and like I said, leave with that. But there's riffraff everywhere you go. And yeah. that's the mistake a lot of people think is they can move somewhere and you're not going to have to deal with idiots. You're not going to have to deal with meth heads. You're not going to have to deal with thieves, drunks. No, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. But that reminds me of another thing I've always done when I'm looking at small towns. Go to their newspaper or the closest newspaper to there. Read the police blotter. That yeah. tells you a lot, too. When you see things making the police blotter like two kids were caught for spray painting something and they, they have time to put that in the police blotter, this is a pretty low crime area. Right. That's so that's always a comforting thing. But, hey, man, we've uh, we've worn this one out pretty good. I appreciate you being with us today, Gary. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Jack. It's always fun. And even though you're on every uh, every other week, man, remind people about your website. It is www.primalpowermethod.com. Cool, man. Well, thanks for being with us today, Gary. Thanks. Uh, that was great. I always love ha having Gary on the show. Um, he really has an interesting, unique view into things. And he, I'm really kind of you know, impressed with his determination to do something like this you know, kind of on his own, so to speak, and, and actually to build and develop his own off-grid place. That's uh, And I know that you know Gary's known as the primal power guy, but and we really didn't get into this today, but to him, that's part of primal living is to live in touch with the reality of being a human being, to get in kind of that homestead, off-grid lifestyle, uh, to have the woods around you, to uh, to be able to produce some of your own food and to harvest some of your own food. And that's that's a new thing for him, too, uh, the harvesting of your own food in the worlds of like hunting and things like that. And maybe we'll talk about that the next time he's on. But if you like this show and you love what we do and you want to help support it, please consider joining the Members Support Brigade. You can do that by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on Members to learn more about that. That's all I'll say about that today because we're going kind of long. Um, I also do want to remind you, though, the easiest way to support this show is to just to do all your Amazon shopping through tspaz.com. Instead of going to amazon.com, go to tspaz, T-S-P-A-Z.com. 
and you can see my review of the day. You can see all the things I've reviewed, or you can just click a link and go to Amazon from there. Once you go to Amazon from there, you just do your shopping for anything you're ever going to buy on Amazon. Just do it through TSPAS, and you support my show, and it costs you nothing. It doesn't even really cost you time because you type in one less letter and click a link. It's it's that simple. Today's item of the day is the UTG Ranger Field Bag. Um, it is a great bag. I won't I won't take up a lot of time talking about it, but you might want to check out the review. This bag's huge. It's 35 by 13 by 12 uh, in inches dimensions. It holds a lot. Uh, I have carried you know 150 pounds of t-shirts. Yes, you can. You can get T-shirts to weigh 150 pounds. You put 200 of them tightly wrapped and rolled into a, a huge duffel bag, and you end up with about 150 pounds of T-shirts. Uh, when I was going to all these uh, events and stuff that I used to do, I would bring those shirts in there, and we would sell them, and that was a much more economical thing to do uh, than, uh, than, than mailing them and then having to mail the ones you didn't sell home, even with the baggage charge. It made a lot of sense. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a great bag, and it, you can wear it like a backpack, even as big as it is. And for me, I always use it in my checked luggage. Because when I'm trying to get to, to, you know, like, it's what I call rental car hell, get through rental car or hell, um, man, it's just to have your hands free, except for maybe your, your, your laptop case, uh, it's so much better than trying to drag a roller. If my wife needs me to do something with her bag for her, having my hands free, it just makes it much easier to move around and great capacity. So I use it for, uh, I have another one in my vehicle as my main uh, vehicle bag kit. They're great bags. Check out the review that I did today. But it's just a rugged, large, great pack bag. It really is. There's there's so many uses for them, and they sell for about forty five bucks. So it's it's a very affordable product as well. But remember, you don't want nothing to do with that bag. You already have one. You got a different one. That's fine. But when you're going to buy something on Amazon, if you want to support the show, just just go to tspaz.com and you can support the show. Uh, next up, our ending song of the day. I, I wanted to do something a little different than any song we've done so far. And I, so I was looking through 80s music today because I am a child of the 70s and 80s. And uh, I found a song by uh, Tears for Fears called Everybody Wants to Rule the World. And I thought that would be a great song to play. And I realized that, unlike me, many people just listen to music like that when it came out at the time, even if you're my age or a little older. You don't really pay attention to it. And then there's lines in a lot of songs from that era that are a little difficult to hear exactly what the words are if you're not really paying close attention. So people listen to the melody, the harmony, the chorus, and maybe get the general idea. This song's actually pretty deep for, for something that's like pop 80s, you know, music, basically. Um, let me give you the lines and then listen to the song. And understand, my goal sometimes with some of this music I play for you is for songs you've heard a bunch of times in your life, and but you never really heard them before, you never really heard the words, you never really got the meaning because it didn't sound like a song with a deep meaning in it, to every time you hear that song from that point on, to think about that actual meaning and actually hear the words. And for it to be a different experience the first time you hear the song after we do the closing segment. I think that will happen today with no further explanation, just me reading the words without the music. Welcome to your life. There's no turning back. Even while we sleep, we will find you acting on your best behavior. Turn your back on Mother Nature. Everybody wants to rule the world. It's my own desire. It's my own remorse. Help me to decide. Help me to make the most of freedom and of pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. There's room where light won't find you, holding hands while the walls come tumbling down. When they do, I'll be right behind you, 
So glad we've almost made it. So sad they had to fade it. Everybody wants to rule the world. I can't stand this indecision. Married with a lack of vision. Everybody wants to rule the world. Say that you'll never, 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 never need it. One headline. Why believe it? Everybody wants to rule the world. All for freedom and for pleasure. Nothing ever lasts forever. Everybody wants to rule the world. My suggestion is to take more of my philosophy. I don't want to rule the world. I just want to do the best that I can in my world and rule my world. I don't want to rule the world. I want to rule my world. That means I'm in charge of my life. I'm designing my life. I'm in control of my life. I'm making the things that I want to have happen happen. If you're trying to make things under that other people are doing under your control, you'll never control your own life. You'll never control your own life. You have to focus on your own life and not turn your back on Mother Nature and realize that nothing ever lasts forever. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. 